Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. We begin today with California. President Trump and Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden are speaking out about the wildfires that are spreading across the western United States. In a speech in Wilmington, Delaware, Biden directly linked the fires to climate change, and he even used some of Trump's own words against him. You've heard Trump say that the suburbs are under attack. We have four more years of Trump's climate denial. How many suburbs will be burned in wildfires? How many suburban neighborhoods will have been flooded out? President Trump visited California on Monday, and he's pointing to poor forest management as the cause of the fires. In a press briefing with California Governor Gavin Newsom, Trump didn't seem to believe climate change is a factor. Here's the president talking with a member of Newsom's cabinet. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Two candidates, two very different approaches to environmental policy. Market Watch has an analysis of how Trump and Biden differ on climate action. President Trump routinely denies the existence of climate change, despite the overwhelming evidence that it's impacting the planet. His administration has rolled back many environmental protections on things like water and air quality. Biden laid out a plan to address climate change. His platform includes many aspects of the Green New Deal. But as Market Watch explains, some environmental advocates say Biden's platform doesn't go far enough, especially when it comes to moving away from fossil fuels and fracking. Political analysts say Biden is walking a tightrope because he wants to maintain support among voters in states like Pennsylvania, whose local economies rely on energy. Only one in 10 Americans align with President Trump on climate change. They believe it's just not happening. That's according to surveying done earlier this year by the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. The majority of Americans say they're at least somewhat worried about global warming. And half say they believe their community will be harmed by climate change. Scientists are saying this isn't hypothetical. Just look at California right now. We're seeing the effects of climate change right before our eyes. Today, a historic agreement is scheduled to be signed at the White House. The Trump administration brokered a peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. And just last week, Bahrain announced it's also planning to establish diplomatic relations with Israel. Bahrain would become the fourth Arab nation to ever have a former relationship with Israel if it also joins the deal. Bernard Avishai has been reporting on Israeli foreign relations for decades, and you can read his analysis on why Israel and the UAE were motivated to meet at the negotiating table in The New Yorker. He writes, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sees this as an opportunity to normalize relations with other Gulf countries, while also boosting his own self-image. See, he's currently on trial for bribery and breach of trust, and he's been facing intense protests at home. Avishai says, for the UAE, this deal is mostly about protecting itself from Iran and arming itself with Israeli intelligence and U.S. weapons. Both sides are claiming this deal as a win for diplomacy. Netanyahu's agreeing to at least temporarily pause talk of annexing the West Bank. Now, this is significant because most Arab states have historically refused to consider an agreement with Israel if Israel did not recognize an independent Palestinian state. 
Right. But one Middle East analyst told Al Jazeera it now seems like negotiations between Israel and Palestinian leadership are very unlikely. And if a viable two-state solution is no longer on the international agenda, then there's no other realistic solution for ending what Al Jazeera describes as the occupation of Palestinian territories. In The Washington Post, Dennis Ross writes about why other Arab states may also want to establish diplomatic ties to Israel. Ross, by the way, served in the Bush, Clinton, and Obama administrations. And he says Israel, with its medical capabilities and technical expertise, might be a particularly useful ally for other countries in the region, especially because the Middle East is facing so many challenges right now. Think about it, from drought to food insecurity and now the pandemic. Yep, and we've already seen one Arab nation follow the UAE's lead. Bahrain is sending a delegation to today's signing at the White House. We put together a list of articles that give context to this deal. You can find that list on our show notes page. We're just two weeks away from the census deadline and close to 14 million households are still unaccounted for. Now, the households that are most likely to get left out of the census are in hard to reach areas or overwhelmingly made up of communities of color, including Native Americans, Latinos and Black Americans. A reminder, the Census Bureau announced it would end all of its counting efforts a month earlier than it originally planned. And now that we're in this final stretch, NBC reports census workers are saying it's a logistical nightmare. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the Census Bureau has about half the workforce that it had for the 2010 census. Now, one census director called this disparity beyond negligent. The inspector general of the Commerce Department raised concerns about this depleted workforce a month ago, saying it will lead to a census that is not complete and accurate. You know, it's not just that there are fewer workers. NBC spoke with several census employees who reported the organizational errors are slowing down the counting process. Things like inaccurate addresses and workers being sent to households that had already completed the census, as well as technical issues with the app-based survey that the workers use. And the associate director of the Census Bureau has been defending the process and said complaints from employees, as well as technical glitches, are normal. You've heard why getting an accurate census count is so important. It informs funding decisions for things like hospitals and public transportation and roads and bridges. And it determines how many congressional seats and electoral college votes states get. So if we undercount now, the implications will last until the next census in 2030. Yesterday, scientists published something earth-shattering in the journal Nature. Or maybe I should say universe-shattering? Solar system-shattering? I don't know what it is, Duarte. They believe they have detected traces of a chemical called phosphine on Venus. Now, here's why this is remarkable. Phosphine is a telltale sign of biological life. And that's led a lot of people to conclude that there must be life on Venus. But National Geographic urges some caution. The publication says, yeah, this is a huge discovery. And it's nice to think that extraterrestrial life is somehow combining together phosphorus and hydrogen atoms to make phosphine. But Venus is also notoriously uninhabitable to life as we understand it. And average surface temperatures there are more than 800 degrees Fahrenheit. There's so much pressure on that planet that it's like being thousands of feet under the ocean. But if you travel a bit higher into the clouds of Venus, you get some relief from all of that. The temperature is like a perfect summer day 
The pressure is pretty similar to Earth. The astronomer Carl Sagan once suggested that there could be life in Venus's clouds. And although scientists are now torn on what to make of this new discovery, it's all within the realm of possibility that maybe, just maybe, there is some life out there after all. You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. And don't forget, early voting or in-person absentee voting officially kicks off this week in six states. So if you're a voter in Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, South Dakota, Wyoming, or Virginia, you should go to our show notes page to see if early voting is an option for you in your county. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.